today, on this last day of Black History Month and eight days before the International Day for the Fight Against Patriarchy, also known as Women's Day, this episode is dedicated to the topic of white feminism. I am joined today by Diane Ngachu, who is a feminist advocate and activist as well as a board member of the Feminists of Maastricht. We are talking today about the racist history of feminism, the need for truly inclusive and intersectional feminism, as well as the upcoming Feminist Action Week. I hope you enjoy it. Queering the Perspective with Bela Bellissima. All right, hello and welcome to this fourth episode of the podcast Queering the Perspective. Today I'm sitting here with Diane. Hi. <laughs> nice to be here with you and we're going to talk about white feminism today. So I wanted to ask you, what are the pronouns you would like to use? And then a random question, what is um, a feminist icon to you? Oh, um, so I go by she, her and a feminist icon is Angela Davis, I would say. Um, it's a bit sad, it's, it's uh, quite US-based and that I'm from Belgium, but I can't think of anyone from Belgium or Europe in general. So yeah, Angela Davis. Okay, <laughs> super nice. Um, I'm also, yeah, really inspired by her. I watched a lecture recently and yeah, she is just so much intellect and <laughs> smartness combined in one person. It's crazy. <laughs> so... Maybe to just get everyone on board, um, maybe we can start with uh, talking a little bit about the theory behind what is even white feminism. So, yeah, what does the term mean to you? White feminism isn't even called white feminism by the people that are advocating um, for white feminism. It is a feminism, or we can discuss if it's actually feminism, but it's um, a movement advocating for gender equality, but primarily led and focused on the struggle of a privileged class, so usually white, straight, uh, middle class or, or upper class um, women. And by having this focus, there's this idea of universalism, this idea that um, all women face the same struggles, that all women have the same needs and are oppressed in the same way. But that's not the case. So of course, it benefits this already privileged group of women. Okay, so if I get it right, then it would be while claiming for gender equality, you're claiming for gender equality for white women. Kind of like it, there's not necessarily this label in the sense that um, like some black women can also be white feminist. Mm. It's more the idea that you're not intersectional, that you're not thinking in terms of what do women need and how how gender is an identity marker that doesn't exist in the independently it overlaps and intersects with other aspects of one's identity such as um, sexual orientation or identity um, class race etc and if we don't look at this as well we cannot really give like justice to the people that are oppressed by the system in particular ways because of their complex identity. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good illustration. I think intersectionality is such an important concept to understand really the systemic nature of oppression 
and um i already i I talked about it in my last episode of the podcast a little bit with my friend noor um about her identity as a black queer woman and how her, her experiences vary so much from white queer women or from um women of color that are heterosexual so i think it is really important to look at these intersections very closely and one other thought that just popped into my mind now is that it really it really is so so important that we look at the systemic nature that we look at all systems of oppression and that it's not about achieving justice for one population group but we are achieving justice for all and so in that sense i wanted to ask you what what does privilege play like what role does privilege play within these conversations about intersectionality like how can your understanding of your own privilege in comparison to other intersectionally oppressed people benefit the struggle for collective liberation i think your privilege can blind you from understanding how the system is actually what causes these inequalities mm -hmm. Because if you come from an already privileged uh, stance, then you would think that you only need to reform the system. You only mm. need to um, to have like a little bit of help yeah. to get at the top of the system and yeah. be equal to the oppressors, actually. Mm -hmm. But once you understand like intersectionality and how the system is perpetuating all of these oppressions you understand that this is what you have to uh, target this is what you have to fight right. this is your enemy the system yeah and then it's a lot about unpacking your own privilege being aware of it and seeing how you can i guess make use of it in a positive way exactly so um, let's talk about feminism so maybe as a white feminist for instance like in the sense as a feminist that is white you might also want to uh, give some space for other women that are less represented in the mainstream feminism. Uh, for black liberation, it would be the same. Mm -hmm. um, not only uh, the light-skinned people or the ones that are like praised the most already in media, etc., but maybe uh, leaving space to black trans women or other people that are even more uh, oppressed and that are not represented in this um, social uh, social movement. Same for the queer liberation uh, advoca uh, advocacy. Like It's just about also giving room to people that are not represented and whose demands are not heard. Yeah, I think especially also within the queer movement, this is such an important topic and this is also a topic that really needs a lot of work because also queerness is so white in many senses too. And it also forgets that when we look at the history, queer liberation has been massively due to people of color, Latinx people that put their lives on the line, that fought with their lives to advocate for the rights of queer people. But if we look at today's societal makeup, then we don't see many groundbreaking advances for civil rights of trans people or for of trans people of color and um 
or trans women or trans femme people of color especially mm, that's very true and i think it's really important that um when we start like advocating for something just we also keep like checking ourselves even if we think we're mm. doing good and even if we think that we're less evil than the people that are not concerned or not uh, supporting that cause we still have to check ourselves and realize that we keep evolving in a society that um, exposes us to like all of these biases all of this stigmatization etc yeah. so we keep ha kind of like having them we internalize them so we still have to yeah <laughs> fight also inside us and inside the our groups and yeah yeah and just bring it constantly back to the forefront exactly and now we already talked a bit about the history like history of feminism history of like identity-based movements um i guess especially in the context of feminism there's always a lot of talk around different waves of feminism could you maybe elaborate a bit on like the origins of feminism and how the different waves have shaped the understanding of feminism as a liberation? Mm -hmm. um, the thought of um, gender equality was definitely not a like new phenomenon like happening in the ninth uh, in the 19th century or like in Western environment. It has already existed, but we talk about the first wave of feminism. Uh, when the suffragettes, so women advocating for um, the right to vote, had a really like sustained fight, and that was really the first time in Western history that this had um, had been seen. So we consider this as the first wave of feminism. But now we can also reflect on that because most of these women that were advocating for the right to vote still had the right to own slaves for instance <laughs> so okay is it is this feminism like mm. which women are we advocating for like yeah the yeah. right for white women to vote why uh, black women are still enslaved i think this example illustrates really well how overcoming one for one form of ism is actually might be perpetuating another one so you can come you can overcome sexism by further entrenching racism with within the societal framework i really like this formulation yeah i had never heard it I, yeah i like it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it's also so important to see how uh, how deep it goes back to our history that it is really this colonial idea, this enslavement of black people and people of color, and that that is a really important context for how white feminism or feminism in general emerged. It emerged not only not in a in a black box, you know, not in a void, but it emerged in the context of existing racism of enslaved people. And um, yeah, then, as you said, this, movement for female liberation and um, the right to vote, the right to self-determination is inherently a white project. So then f embarking from this first wave, what happened after, I guess, in the 20th century in most Western um, countries or countries of the global north, women achieved the right to vote. Um, so how how did 
feminism evolve from this point onwards? Yeah. Then the second wave of feminism was more about the idea that the personal is political. Mm -hmm. So women uh, started to advocating for uh, sexual rights, for yeah, the rights to access abortions free and women started advocating for the right to safe abortions to get the pill to be able to own their own bank account and all of these things but once again the intersectional aspect was totally disregarded so of course there was a better but it was it's it still wasn't inclusive still wasn't diverse still primarily led and focused on the desires and needs of the already privileged uh, group of women that were that was leading the movement right and i guess also with the second wave of feminism this notion of the essential woman was really widespread that there is some sort of inherent truth and in what it means to be a woman and that also is still adhering to a really st strict idea of the gender binary, right? Like you have women as opposed to men. While before, of course, it was in this like very strong power dynamic of like men being superior to women and now it's like on equal footing, more or less, or like second wave feminists trying to achieve gender equality. For, but still by doing that, not leaving any room for gender non-conforming people and um, not leaving any room to question femininity and to question masculinity as inherently flawed and constructed concepts. So I think always when when I look at it from my perspective as a non-binary person, I really see that how you, by fighting one fight, you're and not thinking intersectionally in that sense you know not thinking not thinking about gender as a whole but rather just thinking of gender as you've learned it you really also make it much harder for other people to fight their fight and again it doesn't tackle the systems of oppression at whole at large it just uplifts a certain part of the population exactly <laughs> Yeah. So who like how how did this idea of feminism become challenged? Uh, thanks to scholars, uh, especially like um, black women that um, challenged this whole idea with, for instance, Kimberly Crenshaw later that uh, came up with this concept of intersectionality we've been talking about and this really um, there is like a before and after like this uh, um, this concept in mainstream, mainstream feminism, I would say. And then if we fast forward to now, to today, to 2021, to feminism in Corona times, <laughs> <laughs> how do you see feminism evolving? Um, from this, I guess, what you would call intersectionality would be the third wave of feminism, if you want to call it like that. Mm -hmm. um, but if we fast forward to today, how much do you see femin contemporary feminism as being still very white dominated? Or do you think there's also this knowledge of intersectionality has reached people? Mm. 
That's a tricky question because a lot of people um, say that the third wave of feminism is intersectionality. But personally, I don't see it like that. Like, of course, like um, we've had like this um, framework like to analyze better like systems of oppressions. But I still don't think that this is the mainstream of the feminism that mm -hmm. we have now. Mm -hmm. Of course, like among our friends, among like people that think alike, people we're studying with, maybe and even not all of them, people from yeah, like activist groups and that are like educated um, on these topics. Yes, I would say yes. Their feminism has evolved to something way more. Um, inclusive mm. but the mainstream it's still <laughs> it's still not um diverse and inclusive enough and it's still not um challenging uh the roots of uh patriarchy it's still ver very neoliberal uh, mm. very um about like reforming very yeah it's not really satisfying <laughs> yeah This reminds me a lot about um, this, what you said about like neoliberal feminism or this commercialization of feminism reminds me a lot about this um, account on Instagram called Feminist. Mm -hmm. Have you heard about it? Yeah. And for a long time, um, this was a really woke and like um, very active content producing site and then at some point it was found out that it's actually organized by two white men mm -hmm. that were just commercializing on on feminism and increasing their own profits and had nothing to do with the feminist struggle you know like what they were producing was was simply for profit and their profit did not benefit women mm -hmm. or the feminist struggle yeah especially that they were just like stealing other people's works and just like yeah. reposting them and Just because they had more visibility yeah. already, they were, you know, able to make more profit uh, out of it. And yeah, it's, it's definitely not feminism. Yeah. And I think it's so important that people understand this more now, that um, that we, we look behind, that it's that not everything that's called feminism is good immediately. You know, it really exactly. depends on if it's intersectional feminism, if it's black feminism, mm -hmm. or if it takes intersectional perspective into account, and not only about race, but also about um, class and about ability mm -hmm. or able-bodiedness. Yeah. Class is really, like even um, among people advocating for intersectional feminism, I feel like class is really an aspect that is also very outlooked. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people that call themselves intersectional feminists like don't really value each intersection particularly also because i think race and class are so closely tied together because if you look at it from an historical perspective of course racial oppression also means that access to wealth was extremely limited and um how are black people or people of color supposed to uh, accumulate wealth and reach a certain type of economical standard when they have been oppressed and enslaved for centuries and um, so I think in that sense and if you look at it today in many like this is not only in the US context but this is also Europe if you look at um, the lower class 
um, neighborhoods, though those are most mostly racialized bodies because they don't have this access to education, they don't have this access to wealth because of the history of racialized oppression. And now when I think it's also really important to broaden our frame when it comes to the intersection of gender and race and to not only talk about black women of course it's very important to talk about black women in this intersection particularly because it's the root of intersectionality but also i think white feminism today takes a toll on black men for example really strongly if we look at this karen culture like there's this karen meme but it's it's not funny it's actually really serious if you see how also white women oppress black men you know by exotifying them and seeing them as potential predators only if you look at also notions about male refugees coming to europe and um only here to um to rape the women and they're seen as sexual predators which are primitive and have not learned how to um, how to behave and they have not advanced to like to the civilizational status of Europe whatever that means um, so I was wondering how much it is important also today to talk about the experience of of black men within the context of feminism I think in general it's just important to keep in mind that feminism although like it ha it already has a connotation in the term is there to liberate everyone if you um consider it through an intersectional lens of course considering uh, minorities that are not women is also part of the job uh, as a feminist because mm -hmm. you want to liberate everyone from the oppressions uh, that are fostered like under patriarchy and black men also suffer from patriarchy and from white supremacy for instance yeah while of course on other parts they're also perpetrating sexism for example so i think it's always like to take it with a to to be very closely and uh, to be very approximate in this analysis i think is very important to see like how it wants positionality within this like um matrix of domination affects your standing in society right mm -hmm. like and and then you might be oppressed in many other like in certain aspects and then other aspects you have privilege and are oppressing others it's definitely a conversation that we should all have like all the people that advocate for social justice uh we should all have this conversation with ourselves Because um, talking about like different identity markers, some give us privileges, some mm. oppress us. We have to be aware of our privileges and we have to be aware of our oppressions. We have to find a balance between using them in a way that will push the cause forward, but then also acknowledge that other people are even more oppressed and that they should also like... Right. Um, have room yeah. in this discussion that was really nicely said and i think that's a really important takeaway for those who li who are listening right now and when it comes to checking your own privilege and actually going from the talking to the doing 
I wanted to transition a bit into your activism as an intersectional feminist and advocate. So um, you've been involved with the feminists of Maastricht exactly. here mm. in Maastricht. <laughs> and I wanted to ask how how you work as a group. What are the main like who who is part of the feminists of Maastricht and what are you doing? Okay, so we are uh, a student uh, association um, at uh, Maastricht University. Um, I'm working with uh, other board members and me personally, I'm the head of the content team. Um, so uh, I also work with a committee and we um, try to come up every week with um, a certain topic of discussion that we introduce first for like 15 minutes, like we do like pre presentations. And then, like, we leave room for discussion um, on these topics. And it can either be, like, a debate or it can also be, like, a safe space for people to talk about their experiences. Uh, for instance, last week we had uh, a topic on women loving women. For instance, mm. this wasn't really a debate on <laughs> should women love women, but <laughs> <No>. obviously... <laughs> It was more also like a safe space for a members to be able to just share their experiences. Yeah. And I guess from what you said, intersectionality is quite at the forefront of this group. But yeah. um, have you also struggled with this? Like within the feminists of Maastricht, has there also been um, white feminists or people um, not taking intersectionality to their core and then have has there have have there been tensions arising due to that mm, there hasn't really been like a lot of tension i would say because like intersection like embracing intersectionality is really a prerequisite to mm -hmm. um enter this association because we want to protect our members we don't want them to yeah. be exposed to like um like those comments like on no. top of like the their daily um uh, experience But we have definitely like struggled with um, um, making sure that intersectionality was well represented. Mm -hmm. um, like I'm working with the content team, so I'm um, uh, I'm I'm like finding the topics and I'm like doing the research, etc., with my team. And sometimes, without seeing it, we can also uh, adopt. Uh, a very like cis heteronormativity or like a like very eurocentric mm. uh, or mm. stance but of course we have to keep like holding ourselves accountable and like noticing that this is also a part mm. of like intersectionality and we do like our best to always like consider like the different identities we are working with the different identities that are gonna like listen to it mm. yeah i think that's so important and i'm really glad to hear that these conversations are ongoing because i really think it's not a check mark right it's exactly. not something that you can say i'm an intersectional mm -hmm. feminist but it's something that i think everyone constantly needs to s strive towards to be um more of And I, I can definitely so much see that with myself that there's many parts that I've reflected upon my own positionality and my own standing as 
um, a non-binary white person, but at the same time, I'm also a non-binary person, like able body person. I'm a non-binary person from a middle class background, and I think, and I think talking about all of these intersections and getting really more um, concrete and more um, complex in this analysis is ongoing right it's like you can you can know about feminism for five years you can know about feminism for 20 years and you're never done learning it's the same with allyship right with you if you talk about allyship in the context of black lives matter mm. if you can't if you talk about allyship in the context of um the support of trans people you never stop to learn and you can you you never you should never stop reflecting your own privilege because that's just if you don't do it if you stop if you stop with this work then it's performative right this activism it's really well said yeah it's exactly this and um and with the feminists of maastricht you also organized the first ever women's march last year is yeah. that correct yeah that was a great event like i really felt like in my like personal like activism like a before and after this march yeah. and i became like way more like vocal and way more just like confident about my beliefs like it was really Hell like is. an um affirmation and yeah. yeah i really loved it yeah i remember that day really well it was such a such an energy mm -hmm. it was so nice to see so many people coming out there so many um families that was like super great to see like really like parents already having this conversation with like seven or eight years old yeah. uh, children. It was really super cute. <laughs> and something like this has never happened in Maastricht, right? There's no, never been a women's yeah, march in Maastricht. Yeah, that was the first time. Yeah. Yeah. So congratulations on that part. <laughs> I <Thank> think <laughs> it's super important that this happens <laughs> and not in 2020 for the first time, <laughs> but oh well. Um, And now it's 2021 and we're approaching the 8th of March. And I guess we're not going to have a huge women's rights protest um, in next week on the 8th of March. Um, but what is, what, how are you adapting to um, the restrictions because of Corona um, in terms of, in terms of still using this day of violence against um, victims of the patriarchy what uh, what is happening this year so uh, we are having uh, in collaboration with other um, f associations uh, in Maastricht a feminist action week starting nice. tomorrow Woo. <laughs> so we ha we are having events uh, almost every day that are leading to the protest on Sunday this year unfortunately we cannot have a march Uh, so we will have a standing protest next Sunday, the 7th of March, uh, at Vreithof, uh where we will make sure that everybody can stay away from each other with like little points uh, on the floor. And yeah, that's the plan for this year. Okay, great. So everyone that is in Maastricht right now, um, come out on the 7th <laughs> of March, show some support, make your voices heard, bring your mask, protect each other. Exactly. And, um, but yeah, COVID is not stopping the feminist fight. Exactly. <laughs> That's a good conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> and you said also the, the, um, the march is part of this uh, action, right? Yeah, exactly. So like other events are planned by other associations. So we can 
you can check them out in, on Facebook or Instagram if you're interested. Okay, great. <laughs> Then I will include the link in the show notes to this podcast. And um, I'm hoping that a lot of people show up for these events, that we keep co keep having these conversations. And thank you so much for <laughs> having this conversation today. You're welcome. I really like this. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> And there's still so much to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And thank you everybody for listening. Have a beautiful day and see you back in two weeks for the next episode. Queering the Perspective with Bela Bellissima. <laughs>